Listener supported. WNYC Studios. WQXR. In conversation. Earlier this year, before the current health pandemic took over our lives and forced us all indoors, WQXR's creative director, Clemmie Burton-Hill, texted me a midtown address where a music soiree was taking place at the gorgeous apartment of violinist Joshua Bell. We got a glass of wine, a few pieces of sushi, and watched from the back as two violinists and a bassist made their way to the front of the makeshift stage. They started by playing the first few chords of the chaconne from J.S. Bach's D minor partita for violin. Clemmy squealed softly, leaning in saying that this was her desert island piece. What started as a familiar and gentle chord progression quickly developed into an energetic mashup that combines Bach with Bonivere's song, Calgary. By the time the performance was over, we were in awe. The atmosphere was electric. We immediately introduced ourselves to the members and organised for them to come into the studio the very next day. My name is Rosa Gollan. I'm a producer at WQXR, and this is Classical New York. Featuring Clemmy Burton-Hill talking to the trio, Time for Three. Absolutely thrilled to be able to welcome to the WQXR studio three of the coolest musicians I think I've ever met in my life. And that is saying something. I've met some cool musicians. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Tell us who pressure. you are. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Well, my name is Nick Kendall, and I'm one of the violinists and backup vocalists in Time for Three. I'm Charles Yang, and I'm also one of the violinists. And we're all vocalists here, okay? There's no backup, <laughs> there's no lead, but I'll take the lead position. Yes, you will. Yes. Hi, my name is Renan, and I think I approve of this message. I'm a bass player, and I also sing in Time for Three. Tell us about Time for Three. It's love. I mean, people ask us this all the time, and I think over over the years it's definitely changed. But our common ground is, you know, having all learned as human beings, but also as artists through the masterwork scores of classical music. But we all had this affinity, just like so many young musicians of today, um, wanting to play the kind of music that's sincere to them, which can include the great masterworks, but then can include stuff that's being written today or original compositions. So there's that, but then there's this, somehow there's this chemistry of sound, and when we're actually playing, it's this living and breathing thing that happens between the three of us that there's nothing, there's nothing like it in the world, so it's awesome. There's definitely nothing quite like it in the world. It's really hard to describe the energy and vivacity of a Time for Three performance. How much of it is improvised? How much of that chemistry is dependent on the sort of alchemy of the evening? And how much are you just actually like really planning each beat, each... Everything's planned. Everything's, everything's yeah. choreographed. Yeah. Oh, don't, don't ruin it for me. <laughs> we practice for nine hours a day yeah. just to get everything right. No, um, I would say I would say so much of every show is so different and that's why we do this thing that we call playing live you know it's uh it's so interesting to go into a show and have of course a structured plan but what what, what do you guys think like I'm 40% when people say improvisation I think sometimes there's a perception of like totally off page and random stuff all the time I mean for myself when you're speaking even about 
playing a piece of chamber music. You have to improvise because you have to be flexible and react to each other. And that is improvising on a certain level. And what happens with Time for Three is, yes, we do have our worked out parts. But then when you go from one section to the next section, what happens between that moment and that energy is always flexible and is definitely completely influenced by the moment, the surrounding, the vibe of the audience, the hall, whatever, and each other. If we've gotten enough sleep, if we're hungover. <laughs> but you never play hungover, right? Ever. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to answer that exactly. But I, you know, the, the, there's like a difference between this word spontaneous and improvisation. And I, I think, you know, there's a fluidity in the way that uh, we, we try to make music when it comes down to making a mistake and being able to laugh it off or even having a moment in the piece where it's supposed to be a certain dynamic but just at that moment we just took the liberty not to do that to the point of literally flying by the seat of our pants you know which would be improvisation we love to talk about this with students and because you know we'll get them to raise their hands and say does anybody improvise in the room and like two people out of a hundred will raise their hands and we're immediately describing to them that you know if you if you walk and you talk you're improvising all the time it's something about like making it second nature that that can be really special. I think particularly classical music suffers from this idea that these are scores preserved in aspic. You know, we have mm -hmm. to be so reverent about the notes on the page and that's the thing and there's yeah. a sort of terror of, of going outside of that. And of course, you know, Bach and Vivaldi, the great Baroque era violin writers, you know, they would have expected the soloists to be improvising all the time. Yeah, 100%. Do you feel like you're in a kind of continuum and a sort of tradition? Yeah. We're lucky because no one wrote for two violins and bass. No. <laughs> Bach did not write for that. Mozart didn't write for that. We're a very unique kind of combination. So when we think about reimagining a piece, may it be Bach or something in modern day, we have to think creatively. And that's what's so fun about improvising or arranging or just writing music. It's There's always that kind of challenge there. Uh, there's no mid-range. you got a bass and then two kind of trebly instruments. You don't, you don't have a cello. There's no viola in the middle. And we have our voices. So that kind of limitation always makes it a super creative process in what we do. I need to talk to you about the vocals. Of all the things, that might be the thing that has blown me away the most about your music making. For anyone who's ever tried to play the violin and sing along at the same time, it's really difficult. Why, why was it important for you to bring the vocalizing into what we don't often see? You know, we see instrumentalists do some pretty wild stuff, but singing along is quite a rare thing to behold. Why that? I think it goes to what we were just talking about, how, how to expand the sound. We've always done that with our instruments, may it be like the kind of extended techniques with the harmonics or the pizzicato stuff. But how do you expand it a little more? And when we went into experimenting with vocals, we realized that instead of three instruments, we have six, you know, and six voices. And that gave us a larger palette to work with. When you guys were studying, did you expect, did you aspire to go down a much more traditional classical path? Because you're all yeah. deeply steeped in classical music. Well, I, 
first of all, I, I, I fell in love through jazz, and that was my, you know, my conduit genre that just took me into all genres of music. And when I got into school, then I just found this great affection and love for classical music and, and orchestral music. And I really, really then started to focus in trying to be an orchestral bass player and play in a, you know, one of the best orchestras in the world. And I have the privilege to work with the Philadelphia Orchestra and uh, play in that bass section and go on tour with them. And I loved it. But Time for Three kind of just came whimsically and just grabbed me and put me in that group. And then it was like we couldn't turn back from, from that point. So it was even a debate at times, you know, like, man, I've been practicing this one thing you know, for so long, I'm so determined to accomplish getting into an orchestra. But then there was this incredible opportunity to go perform center stage, play all these different genres of music for, you know, people that loved it. And it basically became something that we couldn't deny doing. I think for myself, I had these two worlds. So I think my parents made me play violin because it was an activity that gives me some sort of structure and discipline. (laughs) As a kid, because I just had no, I I was just wild, my my poor mom. But I'm, you know, I'm I'm a proud product of the Suzuki method, which for me, Suzuki was all about structure, but then fun and games. It's imagination, you know. I believe I think everybody in music, it's like freedom comes from discipline, and you know, I wasn't allowed to do the dance and witches dance until I could play exactly in tune, perfect articulation, and in group class. All the older kids were doing it, and it looked like so much fun when you're four years old. And so, man, I worked hard. It was great motivation. Um, Just dance the one that goes... Kick, and then you turn your bow around. It's like, whoa, cool. This is so naughty. And it's so performative. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, it's... It's (laughs) It's so... It's like, oh, my God, we're turning the bow around. And then we're twirling around. Oh, my God. And then my mom is from Japan, so I was very lucky enough almost every summer to go to Japan. And I went to kindergarten there, but then I went to these amazing cultural festivals that happen in the streets. And that was the first time when I was very young I experienced the fantastic, scary, incredibly intense sound of the taiko drums. And I, I have to believe that that sparked something in me because I had this affinity for in the moment, the visceral connection that the drum has. So I had these two worlds of like structure through learning Bach, playing Mozart in tune, which really helped me as a person, as a young kid. But then being able to release this energy that I had by doing bands with my friends in high school or having a bucket band. So these were these two sides that came along and Time for Three has been able to kind of find, I mean, these two worlds came together for this band and it's really very satisfying. Yeah, we all lived very different but similar lives. I mean, to be a classical musician, you know, when you're growing up, it just takes so much dedication and and learning what's written and learning the different scales, how to play in tune, like you were saying, the different modes, everything. All of our friends didn't understand why we had to practice two hours, three hours a day, maybe more, uh, while they were out, you know. And I used to get real jealous about that kind of stuff. We all did. But um, when... We all learn to improvise. It's kind of a curiosity that we all kind of share. And um, 
yeah, that's where I'll end it right there. So we had that dedication to classical music, but we're curious people. Well, curious I think musician. you can hear that in your music making. One of the other great sort of underpinnings of the Suzuki method is the idea that music is a universal language. Yeah. And that's why you teach four-year-olds or two-year-olds, not because you want to breed precocious little brats, but because, not that any of you guys are, obviously. <laughs> but, but this idea that actually as we're learning and developing our verbal language, that's the perfect time to also be developing our musical language as human beings. And I feel like one of the great things that you guys do is kind of, yes, breaking down the boundaries and those rigorously policed barriers that classical music kind of exists within mm -hmm. and sometimes the rigorous policing is being done by those on the inside and for all the talk of wanting to to welcome other people in there's actually not much appetite for it and sometimes it's coming from the outside because it's like we don't want to go in there where all those like you know classical nerds are and I think what you guys do so joyously and so authentically and naturally yeah. is just it's music music is music that's, so, and that's really it is kind I, I just read an article uh, of a new concertmaster that was appointed in, in the second paragraph that said, so the concertmaster is the person that sits in front of all of the violinists and it started to describe, you know, what a concertmaster is. And it made me think like, you know, if they would say, you know, the quarterback is the person who accepts the ball from the center and then either hands it off to the running back or passes it. And it made me a little sad because I, I didn't feel like in my heart I wanted a description for that sort of thing. And I, I think that it, it comes down to that it is just music and it doesn't matter what it is. It's another language and we kind of all live off of like just, you know, this different taste. And that's kind of the beauty of what it is to work with Nick and Charles in Time for Three that, you know, we, we just share this collective vision that it's all music and that is what's going to go into whatever we're creating. So there's not a limitation with genre. You know, there's not a limitation with improv or a plan, um, whether we sing or we don't, whether we, you know, play our instruments like drums or like a guitar or a banjo. And yeah, it's fun. You know, I've, I have a five-year-old that's in Suzuki piano now. So basically, I'm also in Suzuki piano because I'm the dad. And we go and the teacher, you know, as a parent, you want your kid just to do well. You just want them to practice and, and be fantastic, but most of all, happy. And the teacher is just constantly there talking to the parents saying, it's about creating a really wonderful vibe that's about the energy. It's about the playground. It's right now, it's just, you know, that fertile ground. And it's it's beautiful when when you can you can share in that. Well, and about communicating with other human beings and listening. I mean, you can't be a good musician if you don't listen. So it kind of I think does make for a slightly more empathetic and, yeah. and hopefully curious human being. And yeah. if if I had to ask you a horrible sort of you know desert island question, what is the ultimate piece of music? I really hope you're going to say what I think you're going to say, or maybe you're not going to say it. I think you know what one of us will say. I feel, I feel least. it, I feel it. Yeah. I'm looking at you. What's it going to be, Charles? I think you know that it would be Bach Chacon. Yes. I mean, you know, what's funny is Bach Chacon is, I have played that in a desert one time, and I had a huge memory slip, and I just went, oh, and I can't say that word yeah, on I air. I was there for it. And Nick it was, was there. beautiful. It resonated through the canyon. Yeah, the memory slip <laughs> resonated through, through uh, but that's a 12-minute piece, you know, and it's, uh, it's just one of those pieces where you're scared of it, but you're just, it's, it's, all those voicings combined, it's just created, um, I think it was Joshua Bell that said, 
something like it's one of the greatest achievements of mankind or something. And it's he's so right about that. So you know? right. I feel like it's the blueprint for everything. Yes. Well, time for three. It's been an absolute joy. We're going to hear awesome. you play some music. Thank you so much. It's so great being here. You're doing wonderful things. Well, thank You're you. You're awesome. For, thank, thank you for being you. with us on WQXR. Woohoo!
Nick Kendall, Charles Yang and Renan Mayer, who make up the self-declared, classically trained garage band Time for Three. They played live in the WQXR studio, Chacon in Winter, their rendition of the Chacon from Bach's D minor partita. This interview was produced by Clemmie Burton-Hill and Sapir Rosenblatt, with help from myself, Rosa Gollan, and Lucas Crone Grimberger. The technical producer was George Wellington.